0: This is the podcast of a woman named Rad and a man named Paul. Welcome to Game for Anything. Hey, I'm Paul. And
1: I'm Rad. On today's
0: show, the Cybertruck Might Be Cyber. F- Elon's futuristic (laughs) EVs have a brand new problem. How is the Apple Vision Pro doing two weeks on? A piece of Star Wars history is unearthed in the strangest of places. Well, not the strangest of places actually. Notting Hill's pretty normal actually. And the makers of ChatGPT have made something else.
1: We certainly have opinions. OpenAI, the makers of ChatGPT, which is of course everyone's favourite large language model, have just released their very own text-to-video tool. Now essentially what this is, is you type in a prompt, like we're all very familiar with nowadays, and it will spit out a short AI-generated video that looks eerily realistic.
0: I've seen a few of these and they're deeply, deeply alarming. So uh, what is it about this fresh new stealing robot iteration that has everybody on the edge of their seats?
1: (laughs) (laughs) It's mostly because OpenAI are one of the biggest names in AI at the moment. So Mm. we've seen text-to-video tools before. There's Gen2 by Runway, and there's also Google's version, Lumiere. But OpenAI do seem to be, I'm going to say, a little bit ahead of the game when it comes to AI, and their tool looks really, really powerful. I'm not sure that we've seen one that is this convincing yet. Uh, It Mm. doesn't have quite as many of the strange AI artifacts that, you know, real telltale signs. Having said that, they are still there. There is a video of, like, a dozen wolves coming out of the same... Uh, area in the screen that just kind of manifest out of the first wolf that was there. So it does have (laughs) strangeness to it, certainly. Yeah, yeah. But it is a leap forward in the technology, I think. And it's also um, really showing where this AI technology is going and what people are starting to focus on creating.
0: Okay, so how far are we away from me sitting in court watching video footage, CCTV footage of me committing a crime that I never actually committed? (laughs) Wolves or not, like how close are we to doomsday stuff?
1: We're always close to doomsday stuff because it's (laughs) this intersection, right, of like what looks believable enough and Mm. the pace at which information is moving. People don't necessarily spend a lot of time like pixel peeping to see whether something's real or not. We're used to believing what we see, particularly in video, and people will just share things without fact checking. And I think that we're gonna have to start changing that attitude, but even so, it's really, really difficult because uh, OpenAI have said that they're gonna do things like introduce watermarks to identify videos that are made using this tool called Sora. Mm. Um, The tool is called Sora, not the watermarks. (laughs) But the problem is watermarks are really easy to remove, so they've even admitted it themselves and they have said, we're going to put other safeguards in, like having a terms of service where you won't be allowed to use prompts that breach that terms of service, but... History has shown that that may do <laughs> maybe a bee's dick more than nothing yeah, yeah. to stop a- these, these kinds of content being made.
0: Yeah, a bee's dick with wolves pouring out of it, Rad. <laughs> <laughs> The problem is, Rad, people click on things and sign things on the internet without thinking all the time. I mean, really, it comes down to a digital handshake agreement. But the thing about handshake agreements is sometimes the other hand is a lot bigger <laughs> and will crush you, right? I mean, is legality actually going to protect anybody here, especially the creators whose work is being cribbed?
1: So OpenAI have said that they are using uh, like license-free publicly available footage in order to train this model. So mm. in terms of that big copyright conversation that we've seen over and over, again with AI, because obviously AI needs content to be trained on in order to Mm. do its entire thing. They are saying that they're covered there. I mean, time will tell. Uh, But in terms of what I was talking about, I feel like you've pivoted, Paul. I'm not sure what you meant. You might have to explain to me because I feel like we were talking about like using the tool to make nefarious content. What do you mean?
0: Okay. So I guess what I'm concerned about here is there's a whole bunch of lawsuits going on right now. Uh, To do with AI and to do with the way that they, you know, scoop existing properties and content to make things and I'm just curious where the intersection lies because right now it is a tool that is used to make extremely increasingly realistic stuff and on paper academically that seems as with all tech. Before it's deployed for specific uses, it seems like a kind of cool tool, right? Like a fun, cool thing. It's not until it actually gets into the hands of people who have motives, whether it's deepfakery or whatnot, where it actually gets scary. So whether it's me sitting in a courthouse or Taylor Swift deepfake porn or political ads that aren't actually real, I feel like I'm just curious as to whether there's anything that can stop it getting to that point or whether it's just going to stay in the realm of cool, fun tech.
1: I definitely think these things will eventually get into the hands of the public Mm. i don't think there's a way around it right now Sora is only open to what they call red teamers which are essentially like ethical hackers they're people that are trying to poke holes in the technology so that um the devs can go in and like patch it as well as some artists and filmmakers and things like that so it's currently not publicly available but i like that's the intention, right? Like open AI wouldn't be spending all this time and money investing in it if they're like, and no one may have it. Uh, so <laughs> I, I think that I, it's something that almost feels like it hinges on just like, A, people getting more discerning, B, it requiring more skill to make something convincing, which is a difficult one with this one because the point is that it's very, very easy.
0: Mm. And
1: C, People just being good and not doing naughty things with it. It's it's like the Photoshop conversation all over again, right? Like yeah. it used to be people could Photoshop stuff that everyone would believe and now we've become much more discerning and it's a lot harder to do that. Um, so I think we're, as a society, we're just going to have to learn how to deal with it. But it's going to take time.
0: Yeah, I saw a few side-by-side videos of, you know, a couple of months back, six, seven months ago, there was a AI-generated video of, I think, Will Smith eating a hamburger, and he had like fingers exploding out of his fingers, and his face was kind of like rolling around in fractals, and they did the side-by-side of one of the videos you've talked about. It's of a woman filming outside a train as it passes through a tunnel, and you see her reflection in the kind of darkened window for a moment, and the... The jump over such a short period is catastrophic. And on the one hand, I'm like, that's cool. On the other, I'm like, we're fucked. It's really hard to know where to sit here.
1: <laughs> it is the rolling conversation that is AI at the moment. And I think it's just such an interesting... What a time to be alive, Paul. What an absolute <laughs> time to be alive.
0: Oh, my God. Look, speaking of things that don't look quite right, I'd like to pivot to Space Karen because (laughs) Elon Musk has a fresh problem. A while ago, he revealed his supremely, in my opinion, silly-looking Cybertruck, which is, you know, that futuristic EV which looked like a half-rendered PlayStation 1-era lump of pixels. Were you a fan of the look?
1: I think it's fun. (laughs) Look, I I love a concept car. I love a concept car. I'm actually a little bit of a car. I'm like a car guy who doesn't know anything about engines. (laughs) (laughs) The exterior, the interior, the parts that you see without having to lift the hood, love it. (laughs) I'm very, very into cars and I like watching car shows where they fix stuff up. So concept vehicles to me are really, really exciting. They feel fresh and interesting and I just want more of them. So for me, the Cybertruck sits in that category but as a vehicle, which you then put into production and put onto the road, yeah. I do believe I am less into.
0: Yes, exactly. It's a fun idea if you were at some sort of like pop-up kind of brainstorming session and someone handed that truck across like Homer designing the perfect car.
1: Ladies and gentlemen,
0: presenting the car designed for the average man,
1: the Homer. <gasps> <gasps>
0: You'd go, oh, that's cool, but if you saw hundreds on the road, you'd be alarmed. And I think alarm bells were going off for me, Rad, when at the demonstration to show how kind of break-proof and bulletproof the windows were, they threw a rock at the window and it promptly broke. Oh my God. Well, maybe
1: that was a little too hard.
0: This is the quality control level we're sitting at, and now owners are reporting rust. The Cybertruck, which is a stainless steel shell, is rusting.
1: In some ways, we do have to question whether this alleged stainless steel vehicle is in fact stainless (laughs) steel if it's rusting
0: just to be fair to be fair to space karen uh, people have said that and i quote even the tesla Cybertruck manual confirms the steel panels are susceptible to such corrosive substances as grease oil tree resin dead insects which should be washed off quickly to prevent corrosion Ah! now but look if you're driving around in a truck guess what you're going to encounter the elements it's in the job description right
1: i understand that this is an expensive vehicle. It is not for your everyday person. It's for someone who probably is going to have a garage Mm. to park it in, but I'm sorry, if you're gonna use your car, (laughs) bugs are gonna land on it. Tree sap's gonna get on it from time to time. Like even someone who's quite fastidious and washes their car say weekly, there's there's still gonna be stuff on it from time to time. How prompt do you have to be? Like, no car should be rusting. We're moving towards a world within which we're ceramic coating our cars. I say we. I can't afford it. In which we're ceramic coating our cars to give it more protection and have stuff slide off easier. Yeah. Having a vehicle made of a, a material that uh, needs more washing or whatever. Yeah. It's just. Uh... Is, do you think Do you think it's a power move to say this is only for people who are rich enough to wash the car every day?
0: Yeah, or rich enough to hire somebody to buff out the fingerprints. Rad, stainless steel shows up fingerprints like the second you touch it. So you look at these cars and they're covered in fingerprints. So I was trying to think of ways around this, right? And I went on Reddit, a bunch of uh, Elon Musk fans. Paint!
1: Just paint! Oh, you just paint it! Here's the thing. The- paint it like a normal <laughs>
0: the prevailing theory is people are pushing for wraps, so like a like a kind of a decal oh, that you wrap around. Yeah, yeah, the problem yeah. is that's basically contact paper. Have you ever tried to put contact paper on a school book? Can you imagine trying to get the f-ing bubbles out of your <laughs> cyber
1: truck? No, dude. Have you ever watched people doing raps? It's it's hot. It's good to watch. Be able to
0: rap on a car. A typical car ad has lovely curved surfaces. The 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 Cybertruck is all beveled angles. So you'd have to do it in separate pieces. It's-
1: no, if anything, that makes it easier. Really? Because this one got because you're you're putting it. Yeah. <laughs> I would think so. No,
0: the one guy who sort of did it had he'd had to kind of do it in pieces, and you could see the seams, like the separate kind of the the thin gaps between the wrap. And if you got close to this black wrapped Cybertruck, it looked like his mum had done it. It was not good.
1: I'm gonna say that maybe then it was a DIY job and not a professional one, mm. and his pieces of wrap weren't big enough because. I mean, you you do wraps in in like panel by panel anyway.
0: Oh, Okay, okay. Look, I,
1: I, so his his pieces would have just been too small, I think. Look, I'm I've never wrapped a car, the,
0: <laughs> not yet. The precise artistry of contact <laughs> paper does have a certain appeal, and I can see people enjoying that. But what I read somewhere is that look. Some stainless steel rad is magnetic. Now, it turns out if it's, if it's legit stainless steel, it's typically not. But there are certain types which are manufactured in certain ways that have more ferrite in them that are magnetic. Now, I don't like the Cybertruck, but i got to say, I like the idea of covering my Cybertruck in fridge magnets like a crock covered in gibbets, right? Like, I love, I love I was going to say
1: gibbets. I was going to say gibbets. <laughs>
0: so good can you imagine a giant croc a giant beveled croc cruising around covered in gibbets
1: you know that is a concept car i can 100% get by yeah, with a, yeah
0: with, a, with a huge foot in it look here's the thing i'd like to read a quote from one user on reddit just kind of recommending some tips for people who are worried about the rust he said it's a good idea not to drive it in the rain or get it wet can you <laughs>
1: <laughs> Drive when it rains. It's not it's not a fing perm
0: rad. Like it's a it's an outdoor vehicle. This is just crazy.
1: Yeah, for all of the apparent design that has gone into the side truck, and again, as a concept vehicle would be really, really cool. I just feel like it being functional should maybe be. At least medium priority.
0: <laughs> yeah, exactly. Look, it's, this is not the first car to use stainless steel and a lack of function as a selling point. So the DeLorean, which is the car from Back to the Future, was also extraordinarily heavy and basically sank the company that made them. And here's the thing. The DeLorean was cool, partly because of the pop cultural artifact it was in. Maybe a movie will come out where some heroes will drive around in a Cybertruck. But look, you can buy a Cybertruck. You can scrub off the orange rust spots as they appear all you want. But there is one thing you cannot scrub off Rad, and that is the Musk.
1: <laughs> <Yuck>. <laughs> I did just realize that maybe the rust is a feature. Yeah. Like if it's if it's trying to give Mad Max. You think it's a patina? I'll give Tesla that branding angle for free. It's intentional, guys. It's
0: like when they used to sell little uh, like a, if you bought a very expensive jeans, you get a little kind of paper envelope with a piece of sandpaper in it to like accelerate the wear.
1: Who's the guy that cheated in cricket? That had sandpaper in his pocket?
0: Oh God, I'm not sure.
1: Yeah, it's the Cameron Bancroft of of jeans. You had to Google the guy that, that got some sandpaper and scuffed the ball. Well, I knew it happened. I just didn't know who did it. Yeah, I know. I know.
0: Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today.
1: With great innovation comes great potential for... I'm going to return this within the return period because I'm an early adopter, tried it out, and maybe it's just not quite there yet for my uses, right?
0: Yeah, yeah. Classic quote from Spider-Man. With great power
1: comes great... Potential for... (laughs) (laughs) I am, of course, talking about the Apple Vision Pro, their spatial computing headset, as they like to call it. Everyone else is calling it a virtual reality headset, but Apple don't quite like that. It's the really fancy, only available in the US, three and a half thousand dollar headset that hit the market about two weeks ago.
0: Okay, now I've seen a bunch of footage of people wearing these around in public uh, on subways, minority reporting their way through life. And I've also seen a lot of people holding their necks because apparently these things are quite heavy. So talk me through the two week debut of this extremely expensive device.
1: So Apple have a very, I would say very generous 14 day return policy. It's like no questions asked, Mm. just get the thing, try it out. We hope you love it. If you don't send it back to us. And as we're approaching the first two weeks of the Vision Pro being out, we are starting to see people talk about returning theirs. And like you mentioned, comfort is one of the top things cited as a reason for returning. So it is quite a heavy headset, apparently. To to be clear, I've never touched one. I'm I'm going based off what all the Americans are saying, <laughs> yeah. but it is made out of like, they're I think metal, I'm not sure if it's stainless steel or aluminium and glass. So similar to the AirPod Maxes in feel, which are known to be a fairly heavy set of over ear headphones.
0: Okay, okay. So I'm just imagining myself with a full-blown 90 zero IMAX strapped to my head. I mean this is a heavy piece of machinery, right?
1: Um, I've never been to IMAX, so I don't get the reference, but
0: No, iMac, as in an iMac the computer.
1: Oh, <laughs> Oh, you know what? They should have called it the iMac as an e y e Mac. That would have been cool. Guys. Oh, I'm so into that. It
0: was a slam dunk. And you could put the kind of, you could make it look so retro.
1: Yes.
0: You have a computer, but you're not a computer person relax
1: yeah that would have been way better and then you could have made it out of plastic and it would have felt right uh but being a much more like modern apple slick glass and metal thing Mm. that is all on the front of your face basically because that's where all the hardware has to be the lenses the screens it is apparently quite heavy and then the strap for it uh whilst comfortable in terms of being soft, doesn't seem to balance the headset in a way that's good to wear for long periods of time. People are also citing a lot of eye strain and motion sickness, which isn't something that's exclusive to uh, the Vision Pro. People say that about pretty much all VR headsets. Same with the comfort and fit thing, but it does seem that the Apple one is a little bit heavier, perhaps. But the really interesting thing for me is that people have been talking about how the Vision Pro isn't shareable.
0: Yes. Now, they've had this problem with the iPad, right? So you can't can't have multiple users. And obviously, because this thing is tailored so specifically to... You know interactivity you can't just give your vision pro to a friend and go check this out it's not going to recognize them
1: yeah so in order to use the vision pro you have to go through a calibration process Mm. so it'll kind of measure the distance of your eyes and your vision etc it gets you to look at a bunch of different calibration points so that it can track your eyes properly and make it so that the screen that you're seeing is in focus now you can't just then put it on someone else and have them use it. You would have to start that calibration process again. Ugh. Which feels all the more frustrating when it can like see your face, so to speak, and, and recognize you. You would hope that you can chuck it on. It sort of scans your eyes, goes, Oh, hi, Paul. You're using the headset now and automatically adjusts itself so that you can use it. Yeah. But it doesn't do that and <laughs> There's a part of me that sort of gets it because it does give you like access to your messages and things like that. Like you don't want anyone to be able to get it. But a three and a half thousand dollar headset that runs on novelty, right? There's a there's a big part of this that is just novel. Yeah. That needs to be shareable. I don't think anyone is buying that for personal use. Same with iPads. But with iPads, I feel like it matters less because you can still just pick it up and use it.
0: Even Mark Zuckerberg I saw got online and was putting this thing on blast. So I know the Zuck's been sort of comparing it to their existing peripheral. And I, Look, I, I take everything he says with a pinch of salt, uh, obviously, but it was interesting. And obviously the MetaQuest has been in the wild for years now. It's had a chance to sort of you know hit the ground running. Does this mean that the Vision Pro is just like a real early adopter thing and we should kind of adopt like a wait and see approach?
1: I still feel that way about VR. headsets generally, Mm. right? Like, it's even though it's a decade old now, it's still very new technology. And not only are we still figuring out how to, for example, make it make you not motion sick, but we're still figuring out exactly how we're gonna use this beyond novel experiences and beyond maybe certain types of video games or certain therapeutic kind of situations. Mm. And I think the Vision Pro takes the biggest step into, oh, this is something you can actually use on a daily basis. It's not just something that you chuck on once in a while to either play a game or just do one specific thing. It's your computer or an extension of your computer. And they've done that in a really Interesting way that I do think works. I just think that there's tweaks that need to happen to the technology to really get it there the other problem with it is you need these like um kind of eye cups i guess that, like go on the front of it that are different sizes mm. to be comfortable and it can be quite hard to figure out what size you need and then you have to buy a separate one for every user who's going to use it potentially but then again you would have to recalibrate every time somebody else wants to use it so it it just becomes this like slightly onerous Uh, experience and I think once those barriers get shaved away I do sort of think that Apple have given the best showing of this technology having potential for your everyday consumer Aside from the price, the price is not everyday consumer pricing.
0: No, the price is nuts. The thing is, Rad, when you talk about these eye seals, right, I heard that they're kept locked behind the cabinets at Apple stores as if they're like Magic the Gathering exclusive boosters at an EB Games. Like, these things are not... You can't just walk up and try them <laughs> on, right? And and also, they tell you not to futz with them yourself. And I think they cost a couple of hundred dollars each. So there, you're right. There's all these barriers between you and a peripheral, which really should be used to wander around your apartment, open up email tabs and sort of augment your existing space with the ephemera of your working life.
1: Yeah, absolutely. But I I do think that we'll get there. I still believe that this kind of technology is going to have a major place in our future.
0: Now Rad, whilst the Vision Pro promises to let you leave your documents open in your house, Someone else has found someone else's documents lying around their house. Clumsy segue. Listen, Rad, we've all lived with terrible <laughs> flatmates before, but a family in London in the 70s had a hell of a roommate, and that is Harrison Ford. Now, this is all over the news, and you're not going to believe why. And it's not because he still owes them rent or anything. Although, can you imagine?
1: Is it that he's still living in their walls? <laughs> in the crawl space.
0: Star Wars A New Hope was being filmed at a film studio in Hertfordshire in 1977. So in late 76, Harrison Ford, at that point, you know, he'd been a carpenter for a while, he was making a foray into acting, he's a young man, he he can't afford like much, but they give him a budget to rent an apartment. So he sees an ad in the Sunday Times for a flat to let. And he moves into this house. And the landlords have recently said that he was an excellent tenant, that he was very tidy, and that he'd have Carrie Fisher and Mark Hamill over to the apartment to hang out. And this is a weird detail. Apparently, he referred to Mark Hamill almost exclusively as the boy, which is very,
1: very strange. (laughs) Very weird. They choose not to think about it further.
0: Yeah, me neither. Sounds like a fetish. So the grandkids of the landlords at the time explained to the press that their grandparents lived downstairs and that Harrison Ford lived upstairs. And they started to all get along really well. And Harrison Ford bought some plants for their kind of little courtyard garden and they threw a like a birthday party for their son. And he came and he came to the party and the landlords had no idea who he was. Uh, but when they told the house cleaner after he'd left who she'd been cleaning up after she apparently fainted, (laughs) but turns out he left a bunch of stuff at the apartment, including, including an early draft of his shooting script, which just sold two days ago at auction for $20,821.
1: Oh my word. Yeah. Guys, you can print another one. (laughs) (laughs)
0: Guys, it's available for free.
1: Guys, (laughs) it's it's paper. It's words on paper. Exactly. (laughs) The
0: thing is, Rad, Here's, here's the thing I like about this. It's a fourth draft of the screenplay. It's dated March the 15th, 1976. And one of the great things about this is the script is not good yet. Now, I'm looking at a page from it here. This is from a scene where they're trying to get back to the Falcon and escape the Death Star. And this is a line from Han. Getting back to the ships going to be like flying through the five firings of Fornax. Now look, I'm I'm a big Star Wars fan. I love it, but the five firings of Fornax is <laughs> So look, first of all, it's interesting that they found a bunch of his stuff lying around and sold it. Good for them. But this is just a shooting script and movie memorabilia or ephemera, which is super valuable and was thought missing, is kind of a thing right now. Like recently, uh, the luck dragon from Never Ending Story, uh, his head got found in a garage in like Minnesota. He's not looking well. Um, they ju- <laughs> so, uh, But more importantly, Dorothy's ruby slippers, which is the single most valuable movie prop in history, they were stolen and they recently showed up again and they just caught the guy who did it. And this weekend he was tried for the theft.
1: Who was he? Where did he steal it from? How did they find it?
0: (laughs) Okay, so he stole it from an exhibition, like a gallery, but here's the thing.
1: (gasps) It was a heist. That's not a a theft. That's a heist.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Okay. He arrived at court in a wheelchair on an oxygen tank and whilst I, on the (gasps) one hand, feel very sorry for this person, I know, I love the idea... That they feel bad for him and that they give him the ruby slippers like a make-a-wish thing. They're just shoes. You know, let him enjoy his last few weeks of life. And then he leaves the courthouse and it's like the end of um the usual suspects, you know, where Kevin Spacey's limping. My guess is you'll never hear from him again.
1: <laughs> I was literally just googling what film that was. <laughs>
0: That's so good. I was like, oh. I'm
1: going to make a comment about that Kevin Spacey film where he lies. <laughs> and I've just Googled oh, Kevin Spacey film lying. <laughs> That's-,
0: <laughs> That's so weird. That's so weird. Red, right, I have a friend who um, misinterpreted the end of that film or maybe interpreted it properly because I was explaining the end of The Usual Suspects and he said that he thought the reason he was walking normally is because he was suddenly so unburdened by having told this super stressful <laughs> story.
1: <laughs> yes.
0: Uh, Good. <laughs> anyway.
1: Well, just like Dorothy, I think it's time for us to click our shiny red heels together and say there's no place like... This episode ending. That's it from us. (laughs) Game for anything. I'm Rad. That's Paul. You're you. And we'll see you next time.